Let's pray before we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your word, that it speaks to us of the Lord Jesus. And we pray that as we look now and think about that passage, that you would help us to see Jesus in his glory, that we may receive him as your king. Amen. Well, the arrival was announced well in advance. Devoted followers counted down the remaining days. The national press covered the build-up, the departure, and then the long-awaited arrival in Australia. When the time of the arrival came, the crowds were enormous. Australia had never seen anything like this. Thousands and thousands of men, women and children all lined the streets just to get a glimpse. Important officials lined up dutifully to shake hands. The red carpet was rolled out. Even the Prime Minister spoke eloquently about the distinguished guest. The fanfare was incredible. And it was all because this person was coming to Australia. And you might be asking yourself, who is this person? Was it the Beatles? Was it the President of the United States of America? Was it a victorious Australian sports person? Well, no, actually it wasn't. It was Queen Elizabeth II. So well done, whoever that was. (laughs) Uh, And she came in the 1960s to Australia and Australian public gave her an amazing welcome. The crowds were besotted with the young queen, as she was at the time. Uh, And the queen had come and Australia was in love. Now, at first glance, it might appear that the coming of Jesus, the King of Kings, stands in marked contrast to that. The Christmas story, which we read in the other Gospels, makes much of the humble origins of Jesus. Uh, He's born in a stable. He's visited by shepherds, who are shady characters, really, and foreigners. And then he becomes a refugee in Egypt. Humble origins is true. But Mark begins his gospel with a great blaze of honour to Jesus the King. He shows that God has indeed blown the trumpet and prepared a suitable reception for his King. Mark starts with a couple of ancient announcements. Verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet... I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is just a sample uh, of the early announcements regarding the coming of the Christ. Uh, Malachi and Isaiah, who are the two prophets quoted here, are like Lots of other places in the Old Testament where 
Jesus is announced hundreds of years before he comes. Imagine someone announcing you and your arrival hundreds of years before it happened. It's, it's just not even a thought, is it? Uh, no one denounces me even five minutes before I get there, I can tell you now. And even Queen Elizabeth, when she came to Australia in 1960s, well, even she didn't get that honour. No one predicted her arrival hundreds of years in advance. Yet for those who can see it, Jesus' arrival is so important, so significant, that it was announced hundreds of years beforehand so that everyone would be ready. Now these two verses are verses that I say are worth a double take. Uh, most of us are familiar what a double take is, but for those of us who aren't, a double take is when you glance at something you think is normal and then, wait a second, you look at it again with new eyes realising there's something special there or something different. And I'd argue that these two verses are just like that. When you look at them, you go, oh, right, okay, a prophecy about God sending a messenger to announce his king. But when you look closer, you see something even more significant. So what I want you to do is join me in the passage that he quotes in Isaiah 40. Because there you'll see what I'm talking about. So that was our other reading. Isaiah 40, and we'll pick it up in verse 3, which is what he quotes. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Okay, now what do you notice when you look at that? You notice that there's this strange thing where the people who translated the Bible couldn't get their punctuation right and they wrote Lord all in capital uppercase. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? But it's not actually the case. What they are doing is writing it all in uppercase to distinguish it from the normal Lord word Lord. Okay? Because what they're doing is they're, they're showing that the word behind it in the Hebrew that's translated there is actually the name of God. Okay, In theological terms, that's called the tetragrammaton. You can drop that in conversation to sound impressive if you ever want to. But what it really means is the name of God. Uh, and in most English translations, including the NIV, this Hebrew word is translated for us just like you see on the screen or in your Bibles with all uppercase Lord, all uppercase letters. Uh, you can read all about it in the preface and why translators do this in the preface of your Bibles at home. And let me encourage you to do so. And you might ask the question, why do they translate it this way? Well, that's a long story. And if you're interested, there's this thing called morning tea and you can grab me and ask me. And I'll tell you about it. But the significance for us here is this. In Isaiah 40 verse 3, which you can see on the screen, it is prepare the way for God, the Lord, the God of Israel. Right? And in Mark 1, it is prepare the way for the Lord, and obviously it means Jesus, because it is Jesus who is coming. 
So the verse about God in Isaiah is used by Mark to describe Jesus. So Mark isn't just announcing the coming of a king or even the coming of the Christ. He is announcing the coming of the king who is God. It is God himself in human flesh. You see, at first glance, when we look at Jesus, we might think he is a teacher, a philosopher, a prophet, a king, even the Christ. But here in Mark chapter 1, we are clearly shown that Jesus is more than that. He is God himself. Jesus is someone who is worth that second look. The second part of the double take. Because Jesus is the king who is God. And friends, that's important for us because sometimes it is said that the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is God, rests on only a few verses in the Bible. And you might find sometimes that people will tell you this. They might turn up at your door and tell you that Jesus isn't actually God. But friends, let me be very clear here. In lots of places in the Bible, when you do the double take and you look at it closely, you see it proclaiming Jesus as God. If we were to look up the quote from Malachi 3, which is also quoted in in Mark chapter 1, we would find exactly the same thing. In fact, this phenomena is very common in New Testament quotations of the Old Testament. We often find a verse about God in the Old Testament being used to describe Jesus in the New Testament. It happens again and again and again and again. And if I showed you all of them, we would never get to morning tea. The truth about Jesus, that he is God, is part of the very fabric of Scripture and doesn't rest on just a few verses here and there. It's all the way through. And that's really important when those people show up on your doorstep to tell you that Jesus isn't God. And you can smile and politely and say, no, thank you. I've done the double take. I've had the closer look. And I know that Jesus is God. Now these verses in Mark's gospel also describe the man, uh, these verses in Isaiah also describe the man that we see in Mark in verses 4 to 8. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And you see in verses 4 to 8, let's have a look at uh, verse 4 to 5, where we look at John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. So John the Baptist, that voice in the wilderness, does two things in these verses. The first thing he does is he lays the groundwork for the coming of the Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the King who is God, 
And because the Holy God is coming, sin needs to be addressed. Sinful people can't just walk into the presence of the Holy God. And so we read about John's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And repentance, if you're not sure what that is, it simply means to change direction. To turn away from sin and start living God's way. In Australia we'd say we chuck a yui, don't we? We chuck a yui. That's a stop living our way and start living God's way. That's what it is. And so John prepares the way for Jesus by helping people to repent of their sin. He's laying the groundwork for the coming of the Christ, preparing the way for Jesus. But he does another thing in verse 7. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So John here acts as the ringmaster for Jesus in verses 7 and 8. I'm sure you're, most of us are familiar with what ringmasters do at the circus. They announce the star of the show in a way that builds your excitement and anticipation. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is my very great pleasure to introduce to you the man without peer as an entertainer. He risks his life daily. He wears khaki with panache. He confronts ferocious beasts and smooches them. He is the one, the only, and I'm sure you can do the rest. If you look again at verses 7 to 8, you see, well, kind of a similar thing happening there. Jesus, John is acting as the ringmaster. He's announcing Jesus in a way that's yeah, a little bit cryptic, but it builds excitement and anticipation. It gets people looking, looking for this person who's about to come. Who is it he's referring to? I don't know. Who is it he's referring to? I don't know either. That's the kind of thing that is going to be generated by what John is doing here. And the purpose of this is so that when Jesus comes, people give them, give Jesus his, their attention. They actually have their eyes focused on Jesus and look at him, eager to find out what he's going to do. Now, friends, let me say that there is still a role for people who act like ringmasters today, not like in a circus, but Christians who act by announcing Jesus to their friends and family in a way that builds interest. Now, how can we go about doing that? Well, a good start is to stop censoring ourselves as Aussie Christians. We are great as Australian Christians at not talking about the one part of our weekend that involves meeting with other Christians and hearing about Jesus. When someone asks us on the weekend, we often leave out the bit about church or the when they ask, how's your week going, you leave out the part about your connect group. Instead of leaving it out, though, instead of censoring ourselves, 
What we could do is tell people about it and positively. So then on Monday morning when you go to work and they say, did you do anything exciting on the weekend, mate? You say, yeah, we had a special family service at church on Sunday. It was great. There was puppets and kids' activities and we all had a huge laugh. It was so much fun. What about you? What did you do on the weekend? Oh, no, I just went to the pub. Friends, we do stuff that's far more interesting, don't we? Far more exciting. And yet we often censor ourselves and talk about anything else but what we did on the weekend, about meeting up with Christians and hearing about Jesus. And sometimes... What when we say those things, it doesn't have to be a celebration of something great. If they say to you, how are you going? Say, well, actually, we're going through a hard time. This is happening and that's happening and, and it's all falling apart, but I know that God is in control and that whatever happens, he's working things out for good. And so I'm just trusting Jesus through this time. That's a very powerful thing for other people to hear. And it points to the Lord Jesus, just like John did all those years ago. So friends, let me encourage you, and me, because I struggle at it too, to be a ringmaster and not censor yourself but rather talk naturally about Jesus and the difference he makes in your life. Be upbeat about following Jesus because it is the best, isn't it? Yes. I can see some heads nodding. Yes. So let's talk about it when we get asked. There's nothing to be ashamed of in trusting Jesus and following Jesus. You follow the king who is God. So be a ringmaster. Well, in verses 9 to 11, we get something to give us some even more confidence if we needed it. It's heavenly verification that Jesus is the Christ. Have a look at verses 9 to 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. When Jesus is baptized, we read here that he receives Heavenly verification that he is the Christ. First of all, you've got the Spirit descending on him in fulfilment of Isaiah 11, verse 2. And in Isaiah 11, one of the characteristics of the Christ is that the Spirit of God would rest on him. Here it happens. This is the fulfilment of Isaiah 11, right here in Mark's Gospel. And in case we missed it, God speaks from heaven and says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And once again, Mark is quoting a couple of prophecies about the Christ. 
One in Psalm 2, verse 7, and the other in Isaiah 42, 1. And this makes it a triple verification from God that Jesus is the Christ, God's long-promised King. I don't know if you've ever used your mobile, your um, your credit card to pay for something over the phone, and they ask you, "Can you give us the number?" and you read out the number, and then they ask you, "Can you give me the expiry date?" and you tell them the expiry date, and then they say, "And what about that funny three-digit thing on the back? Can you tell me what that number is?" and you read out that three-digit number. Why do they do that? It's a three-way verification of your right to use that credit card to purchase that really important stuff, whatever it is, that you're buying over the phone. Here, God gives a three-way verification that Jesus is the Christ. He is that king that was promised all those years ago. First the spirit, then the two prophecies. God gives us a triple verification that Jesus is the Christ. So friends, if God has verified that Jesus is the Christ, the King who is God, then what more evidence do we need? The Christ has come. He is Jesus of Nazareth. The right response to Jesus then is the same response, in one sense, for Queen Elizabeth, that we should give him a massive welcome and treat him as royalty. We should treat Jesus as king. And what does that mean in practice? Well, at the very least, it means that we should obey his royal commands to meet with his other subjects. That's a good thing to do. But Jesus is the king who is God. He desires more for us than going to church or going to connect group. He doesn't just want Sunday Christians. He's after everyday Christians. He has, as king, the right to rule over every aspect of our lives, for he has given us life twice. So the challenge for us from this passage is to give him charge of all areas of our lives, home and work, leisure, relationships, everything. Choose to let him rule us as we obey his words in the Bible. Jesus, the king, deserves to be Lord of all. All of our lives. And friends, and that means if you've never bowed the knee and taken Jesus as your king, well, let me urge you, if that's you this morning, or as you're listening online, and let me urge you to make peace with Jesus. For today you've heard about his first coming. The coming of the Christ the king who is God. When he comes a second time, it's a really good idea to not be a rebel anymore, but rather to be one of his loyal subjects.
And if you're not quite sure about Jesus yet, if you think, oh, I need to know some more, then let me encourage you to keep coming along to church all the way through this series in Mark's Gospel, which is going to go all the way through to almost Christmas. You'll get to meet Jesus in Mark every Sunday. And if you want to do more in-depth study about Jesus before making your choice and a chance to ask questions, then why not sign up to do Christianity Explored with our very own Roger Lewis? Christianity Explored starts again on Sunday the 12th of November. And Christianity Explored runs for six weeks. That's six weeks where you get to study Mark in depth, pepper the professor with questions. I'm giving you permission to do that. There you go. And chat with other people as they explore it too. So if that interests you, you're going, yeah, that, that actually sounds what I need. Sounds like what I need. Well, then speak to either to me or to Roger or use the Connect card, which you can access via the QR code or, or that's on the bulletin, or directly on our website. You can register your interest in Christian Explored there. It starts November 12. So, friends, let me encourage you to consider Jesus carefully. For Mark tells us that he is the King who is God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that Jesus is the King. 